Welcome to AASHTO Resource Q&A. We're taking time to discuss construction materials testing and inspection with people in the know. From exploring testing problems and solutions to laboratory best practices and quality management. We're covering topics important to you. Now, here's our host, Brian Johnson. Today on the podcast, we have a guest from CCRL. This is Steve Small. He is the manager of technical operations for CCRL. Technical operations. All right, that's good. I learned something new already. It's like <laughs> I never realized I'm, what your title is. He's I'm not going to lie. I didn't know either. I didn't yeah. know either. I was like, what is Steve's title? Steve Small is just, the, just the manager. That's all. Yeah, he's a manager and he's the person I call or email when I have a question about something technical. Uh, so he's going to be a regular guest on the podcast uh, to talk about things that people might not know, uh, like what is your title and uh, what, why, does some, why, why do some standards require certain things? So today we're going to talk about one of the standards that people really struggle with. Uh, this standard uh, shows up with nonconformities on it on uh, just about every concrete report that I see come through. Uh, the standard is... ASTM C511 and its equivalent ASHTO M201. It is the standard specification for mixing rooms, moist cabinets, moist rooms, and water storage tanks used in the testing of hydraulic cements and concretes. You weren't reading that at all, were you, Brian? Not at all. Not at all. It's I knew it off the top of my head. I didn't realize that, uh, what was it? The uh, mixing rooms was in the title. That was that was news to me. I knew <laughs> I knew that I knew that uh, the moist room is often used as a mixing room, but I didn't realize C five eleven was written around that. Uh, it, it, is it is it possible that this standard may be too all encompassing, Steve? No, I don't think so. It's it uh, it pretty much lays out the requirements for curing, which is an important part of uh, testing for cement, uh, mortars, uh, also for concrete. Uh, the curing is an important aspect and uh, trying to get the best results possible for out of the curing. And this is one of the ways is of of ensuring that. Right. But what, what I'm going to try to get to today is why are there so many problems with C511 uh, conformance? And so I might ask a couple questions about uh, alluding to there might be some problem with the standard or some way it can be improved so that people have an easier time conforming with it but let, let's talk about you, you talk about how important it is why is curing in accordance with this standard so important for good concrete test results well varying the uh the temperatures out of a specified range can affect the the hydration and uh, you know the curing therefore affecting the strength and uh we're trying to get the best strength possible out of the specimens. Uh, we don't want to weaken them. Uh, you know, ideally we want them to pass, which most of the time they do, but uh, we don't want this to be a problem when they don't pass, uh, when they don't meet the design strength. And um, by following this specification, which is required, this, this uh, helps to ensure that that doesn't happen. Yeah, so let's get to the core of the requirements. So we've got what? Temperature and humidity, right? For moist storage, uh, we also have for that's also in there for the mixing. 
which is in a primarily in a cement lab that's in the work area, but that's that's a different thing altogether. That's mostly for the producers and then anyone else who is testing the cement itself. Uh, the moist storage is the way that most laboratories do. Um, they go that way with a lot of uh, if they have a lot of testing going on. Um, Tanks are used by laboratories that don't do quite as much testing just because the size. Uh, once most people get beyond two or three tanks, it takes up too much room in the laboratory. And it also gets as cumbersome trying to keep them all within temperature range uh, to, to meet the specification as a moist storage does too, to start with. So okay. moist, moist storage is generally the preferred method for for laboratories that are doing a lot of testing, um, you know, it, it depends upon the workflow and whatnot, but they're also much easier to take out of storage for testing. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the temperature range that we're looking at for C511 is 23 plus or minus 2 degrees Celsius. Mm -hmm. uh, that is about room temperature for most places, right, in that range. So why is it so difficult for people to maintain that temperature in a, a moist curing facility? Most of the time it's because it's the moist storage um, is in the back part of the lab, which is either not air conditioned fully. They may just have a swamp cooler instead of an air conditioner, or it may uh, also be the same thing in the wintertime where they have a garage door around back that gets opened and that lets all the uh, the cold air in in the wintertime and, and, you know, vice versa, lets all the warm air in. And the garage door is open often when samples are coming in and out of the laboratory. You know, okay. either for being thrown away sometimes or, or uh, you know, being received for testing. Now, what do you think laboratories can do to improve their chances of conformance with all of that going on in the back of the lab? Well, the, the ideal best system for moist storage is to have a totally separate unit. It has its own thermostatic temperature control. If the back isn't thermostatically temperature control, then they need to have a, a thermostatic temperature control on the moist storage. You know, most people use these uh, walk-in refrigerator systems like you'd find in a restaurant that have thick walls with uh, lots of insulation. That way it tries to keep the temperature relatively controlled in there. You know, having something sealed up airtight also helps too. There's also different ways to control the temperature. And uh, probably the most common way to control the temperature is through the water um, that goes into the room with the sprays. And having hot and cold water and then having a, uh, a valve that controls, that goes back and forth between the hot water and the cold water. But in some areas, the groundwater comes out at, at um, you know, maybe 83 degrees to start with. So you're already outside that temperature range. So they have to install a, uh, a water chiller to pull the temperature down. So that way it's colder going in. That way it keeps the, uh, the temperature within range. Yeah, now if I'm, in, if I'm in an area like that, do you think it would make sense to have a assume the water is coming in hot all the time and only deal with chilling it well in some of the areas where it does come in hot it also gets cold uh, you know in the winter time 
And that's where your chart recorder records come in because uh, that monitors it 24 seven. And you can see in the winter time where it goes out of the range or in the summertime when it goes out of the range. And that way you make, uh, you know, add appropriate measures to ensure that it stays within the temperature range, either a chiller or perhaps a water heater. Some places they've had to get a larger water heater to um, to keep it within the temperature range throughout the day as, okay. it, as it requires. It's having an automatic system is a larger expense, but uh, it's required that it maintains its own temperature and um, it also, once it works right, then it's kind of worry-free. You don't have to mess with it once you got it dialed in. Now, what should a laboratory do? Let's say that they're doing a great job maintaining the temperature and they get a big load of cylinders in and they've got to uh, open the doors on the, the fog room or moisture room and load it in. And in the process, they end up getting a spike or a drop in their temperature that takes them out of range. Uh, what should they do? Opening the door is allowed. The standard does allow that, but the room should basically recover. If it takes an extended period of time to recover, um, then there should be some more controls added to, to pull it down. Uh, it also depends what type of work the lab's doing too. I mean, if they're doing something that has a high early strength, those cylinders are a lot more uh, exothermic reaction, so they're going to be hotter as they come in and as they're initially curing. So, um, and those cylinders too are typically tested at one or three day breaks just to make sure that it is in fact going because they, they used high early, more expensive uh, material for, a, you know, for a reason. They wanted to open the project earlier or whatever. Yeah, now, now I imagine with those cylinders having the exothermic reaction of uh, giving off, you know, giving off heat uh, while they're curing, uh, that must add to the complexity of the, the people who are using the tanks, right? So if I've got a big uh, tank where I put a bunch of new cylinders in, uh, I would imagine that that would raise the temperature. What what kind of strategies can people use to, to help themselves when they're using tanks? Have a bigger tank. Uh, that helps out with, with when you do have those, uh, those high early you know, specimens to pull the temperature down and and keep it down. You can also use a water chiller. It's possible to build them out of a freezer and some pumps, basically making a uh, using some copper tubing to pull it down, or you can purchase them. But that helps keep the temperature down. You do not want to be putting ice in the tank. Uh, again, the tanks, just like the moist storage room, have to be thermostatically temperature controlled, so it should maintain the temperature range on its own. It does not need to if you're putting ice in your tanks to keep the temperature within range, it's not thermostatically temperature controlled. It does not meet the requirements of the standard specification. Yeah. We've run into that with, with laboratories trying to manually adjust the temperature. And we, we just, as an accreditation body, we just can't permit that as a solution because people aren't in there 24 hours a day exactly. uh, adding water, hot water, ice, whatever it is. I think it's an absurd suggestion that we would accept that because, you know, we need to make sure that people are in conformance when we list them on the directory because they're being hired to provide these test results in an accurate manner. Uh, so if we're, we, we need to be sure of our, our decision-making process 
or reviewing those corrective actions. So I hope people keep that in mind uh, as they're dealing with these issues. You know, when they get a CCRL report and it has a nonconformity on temperature control, uh, you need to think about a long-term solution instead of just uh, trying to get through this 60-day or 90-day period that, that we're dealing with on the corrective action process. Now, let, let's talk for a minute about what can go wrong here. Um, if, you're, if you've got cylinders and you aren't adhering, let's say you're a laboratory, you're not accredited, you're doing some concrete testing, and you get a bunch of cylinders in, you just sit them on the ground in the laboratory, you don't have a tank or a curing room. What does that do to the strength of those cylinders if they're not being cured properly? Well, the strength can drop off. Again, we want the best case scenario. And, you know, by letting them sit out there, you're, you're, uh, you're not even really doing a field cure at that point. Um, field cure would be, you know, realistic conditions as they are out in the open environment. But, you know, standard curing as described in C31 for making specimens in the field, you know, when they're brought back to laboratory, you're supposed to do standard curing. And standard curing is putting them in C511 uh, storage, either water tank or moist room. Now, what, what, do, what do you say to people who think that standard curing doesn't make any sense and that you should only be curing it as the as if the concrete were on the job site, just like the concrete that's being used on the project? Well, there's a lot of smart people in, in um, academia and in the real world you know, out in the industry who seem to think that this is the best way to go with standard curing. It's going to be the most best you can get out of it for the temperature range for getting that, that concrete to, to cure to, to strength and, uh, you know, ideal conditions as it is. You know, it, it's an important aspect, you know, that the curing, they have curing ranges for uh, the initial curing out in the field. And, you know, those are important too. But, they really spend the most time back in the laboratory in the standard curing facilities. Uh, you know, the strength is based on 28 days. So that's basically a month that they're sitting in that st storage and having that right temperature makes a big difference, can make a big difference. Yeah, uh, another thing I, w I wonder about sometimes with concrete tests is you've got your beams, uh, your C78 beams, and you've got your C31. Well, I guess, uh, you know, uh, or C39 cylinders, you know, they're all molded according to C31, right? Uh, why are the curing facility or curing requirements different for cylinders and beams? Well, the beams, the beams are a little bit more sensitive. Uh, flexural strength is not the strong point of concrete. Um, which is, you know, why it gets uh, reinforced with fibers or rebar generally. But um, so they're more sensitive in the way they're broken. They don't break as high. And you want to give them every little possible thing you can to ensure that they cure at, at the highest strength possible. So they also require a 24-hour saturation in a tank. And... Um, Sometimes a tank can be just basically, if you have a moist room, a cure tank can just be basically a garbage can that's put in the moist storage with that's saturated again with lime. And the moist room will maintain the temperature of that tank while it's in there. 
The uh, the beams, this is just 24 hours before they're broken for C78, and the beams can stand on their ends if they have to. There's nothing in the standard that says they have to lay horizontal. That sounds like some pretty fancy uh, lab equipment there. Yeah. The trash can <laughs> in the curing room. A, a, lot, a lot of the things, and it, it's funny because this standard is where we probably see the most homemade solutions of all of the different standards we deal with. Uh, from the the curing facility itself to all sorts of interconnected tubing uh, from tank to tank. Uh, it, it gets interesting and there's always a lot of questions that come forward from the quality analysts to me, which we often discuss in our weekly meetings that uh, Steve Small attends as well to kind of help guide us through some of the decision making processes. So I always appreciate that, Steve. Sure. Uh, let's let's talk for a moment about the cement mixing room. Uh, so, so the cement mixing rooms are also tied into this standard. Why are there requirements for mixing cement that involve uh, this standard? Well, it's it the, uh, the individual standards for a long time reference their own, uh, you know, humidity and temperature requirements. And it's, it's been, for the most part, the standards have just started referencing C511. There's still a few, I think, out there that don't reference 511 for the mixing. But again, it's looking for the ideal conditions uh, that you that you're mixing your your uh, cement paste or mortar in uh, in the laboratory. And again, these are these are laboratory tests. This is your your area where you're mixing it up in your uh, C305 mixer. You know, you don't want to have it too dry and you don't you want to have your materials at a good temperature. You wouldn't want to have something that came hot out of the mill. Uh, you know, sometimes I guess that stuff is is uh, you can't touch it. It's so hot when it comes out, depending and you wouldn't want to touch it when it has a, a higher temperature. It might affect your results. Again, you want to be in the ideal range looking for ideal conditions. OK. Well, any any tips that you would like to just unsolicited advice for the listeners that may be wondering about how to be in conformance with this standard? Um, for moist rooms, you know, if getting a good thermostat temperature control, you know, it it there you can buy those from a couple commercial places uh, that that make that do make concrete equipment. That's a really good starting point. Um, beyond that, perhaps call a place that does uh, refrigerators, uh, you know, walk-in refrigerators for a business, um, you know, something like that. The HVAC guys. It's and again, one of the big problems is there's nobody that that uh, you can't buy these off the shelf. You know, a whole moist room. You can buy some tanks off the shelf, but they are very expensive. And quite frankly, you can make your own tanks for much more reasonable price. If I'm starting a lab and I want some advice, I have an idea of what I want to do. Uh, can I reach out to CCRL uh, or somebody at ASTM to to see if this this situation, uh, not to approve it sight unseen, because I know we're not none of us are going to do that. Uh, but at least to provide some direction or guidance or just say, hey, we know that's not going to work or uh, we think that has a high likelihood of working. 
if anyone ever has questions on uh, the curing facilities or or anything else, materials testing wise that that CCRL covers, they can always give us a call and uh, or send us an email, and um, you know we can go from there. You know we get questions all the times on different things, and and sometimes we don't know the answer, but we try to point the people in the right direction to to other people that do. Yeah, that's a good point because all of us, you know, CCRL staff and ASHTO staff, we work with all the technical subcommittees, uh, both in ASTM and ASHTO. And even if we aren't the technical experts, we know those people and we can present the questions to them and get you in touch with people who can help. Uh, so I appreciate that. Now, speaking of standards development, are there any things that you uh, think are coming down the line as far as C511 development is concerned? I don't see any big changes going through. There are certainly a lot of things I think that could be clarified in the standard to make it more user-friendly. Having user-friendly standards, specifications is always a good thing, uh, especially for the end user. But it's uh, it's because of so many people look at this standard and utilize it, it makes it that much more difficult and challenging to get things passed in the, you know, in the subcommittee and then in the main committee. This is one of those standards that I think could really, uh, users could really benefit from seeing more diagrams or even videos uh, showing what the sprayers should look like. Uh, yes. what, what's effective, you know, showing a, a room with spattering, uh, spitting <laughs> uh, sprayers versus one with a nice even fog or mist in it. Uh, would be would be helpful, I think, because it's like, well, I think this is good. What what it, what's it supposed to look like? Well, let's let's see. So something just to put a plug in to the standards developers and the they are the standards development organizations. The developers are typically the volunteers who are helping to write the standards, but those organizations could probably help people by getting more um, uh, ways for people to see those kind of things. Uh, so hopefully that they're listening to this and they can hear what we're saying. Anyway, Steve, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it. Uh, I think this is going to be helpful to users. Kim, do you know any more about C511 now than you did when we started this conversation? I know so much more now. Thank you so much. I do want to say that we, um, on Ashto Resources website, we have an article about C511 as well that goes into some details as well. So if some people are curious and want more information, um, we have that available as well. That's right. What is that article? The Cure for the Cure? Cure for Something the Cure. Like cure for some, the cure. some catchy title like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and when you're looking for articles on our website, ashtoresource.org, you can do, there's a search feature. This is, Kim always reminds me about this. When I say, Kim, I can't find this one thing. And I'm did like, you search you it? Said, no, I no. did not. <laughs> Why don't you tell me where it is? So there, there is a search box uh, that anybody can use, and that should be helpful to you. Uh, and, and Steve, again, this is Steve Small, uh, manager of technical services at CCRL or something to that effect. Is <laughs> 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 our guest today. I appreciate your time and I'll see you at the next app meeting. Thanks for listening to Astro Resource Q&A. If you'd like to be a guest or just submit a question, send an email to podcasts at ashtoresource.org or call Brian at 240-436-4820. For other related news and content, check out Ashto Resources' Twitter feed 
or go to astroresource.org.